0: Good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm Renee Bernhardt, founder of Foster Source, and thrilled to have you with us. Today, we're going to talk about the importance of maintaining sibling relationships in foster care. Uh, we are thrilled to welcome Stacy Sanders. Stacy has been a dear friend of ours since our inception five years ago. <laughs> um, Stacy works for Casa, but is the founder and executive director of a nonprofit called Elevating Connections that offers all sorts of camps and activities to bring siblings who are separated in care together. And I'll let Stacy tell you a little bit more about what she does, but this is a class she has taught for us for years. And it's just, it's so important. And Stacy, I feel like, you know, we just recently had a class on Family First and I think with Family First, it's gonna be even more important that we keep Mm -hmm. those siblings together.
1: Absolutely, thank you, Renee. I'm thrilled to be here. Um, Obviously talking about my favorite subject, Um, and working with you is incredible. So yes, the sibling bill and and keeping siblings together is what we're here to talk about. And it's so, so important um, for so many reasons. So I'm just gonna dive right in and I'll bring up my PowerPoint. Um, Please, as Renee said, if you've got questions, use the Q&A. We'll have plenty of opportunity. And then I'll be asking you some questions. Uh, throughout, so use the chat to answer those, and I'll do my best to to support and answer the questions, Um, but I'm thrilled to be here, so thank you, everybody. Go ahead and bring up my PowerPoint. Technology Oh, look at that. It worked. It worked. Well, when that happens, okay, (laughs)
0: right, little, let's count our little blessings.
1: (laughs) Exactly, and then I realized, oh, going to the next page. So sorry. There we go. Okay. So today we're going to talk about specifically understanding the laws for sibling contact and the sibling bill of rights that was passed two years ago. Um, Understanding why the sibling relationship is so important. That may seem like kind of a no-brainer. Of course it's important, but really why it's so important, particularly for the kids um, that we're talking about, the kids in care and that have experienced trauma and that you all care and and are raising, care about. Um, Understanding the importance of meaningful sibling contact and what that is, your role in supporting the sibling relationship, barriers to sibling contact, because there are many, um, and then a lot more about, and some more about what we do at Elevating Connections to help support all of you and the sibling relationship.
0: Well, and I think too, it's already challenging as a foster parent mm-hmm. to get your child or children to all the uh, appointments they have each week and the visits. Yep. So I can't imagine what that's like when you have a sibling mm-hmm. in another home. Um, yeah. Raise your hand if you have a sibling group or are, are parenting anyone with a sibling. Yeah. Ton- oh, look at all. Yeah. Oh, look at that. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and the pandemic made it harder. So in case that wasn't apparent to all of you that are are caring for and raising kids that are separated from their siblings, it's made it even harder. Um, And one of the things that I talk about with uh, caseworkers and GALs, and I'm gonna start doing more work with judges as well, is the discussion about sibling relationships and how to support it needs to start as soon as they're separated, or better yet, not at all separated, but if they are separated, what are those expectations? What does that look like? And that's what the Sibling Bill of Rights is about as well, to help start setting that up at the beginning of placements so that it's not just sprung on on all of you partway through or a few months after you have them in your home, Um, because you have all those things that Renee was just talking about. Um, You've got to get them to school and therapy and parenting time and all the things that come with caring for these these kiddos. So um, hopefully we can talk about um, and get to some places where some solutions are come to mind. And then knowing that I'm available, um, beyond this class.
0: Okay. How common is it that siblings aren't kept
1: together? So it's increased a little bit. I don't have exact numbers, but in the state of Colorado, it's about 40 to, um, 50% of kids that are in care are separated from one or more of their siblings. Um, it's a big number. So at any given time in Colorado, there's probably, uh, 1500 or more kids separated from one or more of their siblings, um, throughout the year. It's a lot. And I'll be talking about, um, camp, uh, and our programming But as we got ready for camp to belong, sorry, I went too far. Uh, I'm like, wait a minute. Um, well, I went really far. Okay, there we go. Sorry, folks. Um, So as I was getting ready for camp this summer, I was um, shocked, and I shouldn't be because I do this work, but shocked at how many more siblings were separated and how far apart they are in the state of Colorado, um, which makes it even harder for for the families to work together to see, get them together. So um, I'm trying to do some work. Uh, around that and, and reminding folks that this bill exists um, and the importance of keeping them as close together as possible. Um, and then supporting families who have the kids in their care and what that looks like. So, um, cause it's a big ask to have to travel more too far away when you have all those other obligations. So we got to keep the kids as close as we can. Um, so defining the sibling relationship um, is, of course, biological siblings that are full or half siblings, step siblings, adopted children in the same home, not biologically related, and foster siblings. And so the obvious ones are the, the biological uh, siblings. Um, but I've had conversations in kids that I've worked with over the years where there are adopted children in the same home who are not biologically related, and a sibling relationship and a bond has been created because of that. And so um, they've also been separated because the adoptions, for whatever reason, um, are disrupted, or some of the kids are removed from the home. And I've had conversations where they're like, um, "Okay, but they're not biologically related. Doesn't matter anymore. It matters that they have been raised as siblings, and um, that relationship is important." Same with foster siblings; they don't have quite the same rights as biological siblings do, but keeping that into consideration. I get a lot of kids that come to camp that that run into uh, kids that they were in care with in different homes or group homes. So interesting. I never yeah. would have thought of that when, when you do yeah. the
0: legislation, does this, does legislation usually consider all four categories?
1: No, um, okay. foster sibling, it, it discusses it, but there's not a priority for, for foster siblings in particular, adopted children. There's a little more wiggle room but it's really the biological half or full. Adopted children are in there. Um, But the spirit of the the bill is really maintaining the sibling relationship for the important to the, for the kids that are important to each other. Um, Legally, it's the biological piece um, that gets priority. And so those are things to take into consideration as kids are placed in homes with other children that are not biologically theirs and then removed. an important conversation to be having among the team because the impact is great. And then it didn't occur to me until our first year of summer camp that when I had some kids walk into cabins, they're like, hey, I know you from, I'm like, oh, sure. Why wouldn't that happen Um, with placement changes and things like that? So it's a different dynamic that we um, were not prepared for at the time. We are now, um, but we're not prepared for at the time.
0: Yeah. Someone says I feel like foster siblings are important to each other too. Absolutely. Hundred percent.
1: Yeah. And and so you know I do advocate for that. <laughs> um, um, I'll never forget years ago I was standing in the hallway of court uh, with one of my custody cases and um, we had five kids. There were two sisters that were biological. No, four of the kids were biologically related and one wasn't, um, but they were all raised together and they were separated f- through some really tragic situations um, where the girls were blamed and the, they weren't letting them see their brothers, both biological and adopted. And I had a pretty strong conversation in the middle of the courthouse hallway um, that they had created a sibling relationship for all of these kids and they needed to make sure that it was supported. Um, it's really important. The emotional bond is real. Because if we all think about relationships that we have that are sibling-like for us, we're not related necessarily by blood, that's a best friend or um, somebody who comes along and you're like, Man, you're like my soulmate who's not a romantic partner, but you're, you've got the other half of my heart. Same thing here for adopted siblings and, and kids in foster care. <clears throat> so the priority of course is biological and adopted siblings. Um, but that's where some of the advocacy comes in that I try and do for all the siblings. And then let's really dive into why the sibling relationship matters. So, um, for all of you who have siblings, um, just thinking through your relationship from the moment you became their sibling, whether you're the oldest, middle, youngest, I'm the oldest of two, uh, (laughs) I have two sisters, I'm the oldest of three, um, and it's a lifelong relationship. And it's the first relationship that, that any of us are going to have. Right. So I'm two years older than my middle sister and then seven years older than my youngest sister. And so when I don't remember when my, my middle sister came along, cause I was two, I remember cutting her hair when I was four, um, which didn't go over well with my mom. Um, but when my baby sister, Allison came along, I remember very clearly what that excitement was and knowing that I was going to get to take care of her and and play with her. Um, so that's the, one of the first relationships that I remember. And with our siblings, we learn how to problem solve. We learn how to fight and make up and, and build relationships. There's safety and security in our sibling relationship. So they're the ones that know us from our earliest memories and our earliest interactions beyond. They help us create a sense of belonging. So even at, as we grow older, that sense of belonging becomes even more important in that connection. My sisters have children, I'm, I'm an aunt, to, they're, they're kiddos. And that connection right there is so huge because I get to watch those kids grow up and be part of their lives. And we get to talk about our childhood memories together. So, so my niece and nephews get to laugh at us when we tell them the stories of what we did as kids. And let's face it, they laugh at us now. Um, and it creates that connection. So as the kids that we're all talking about that you are caring for and and loving and raising um, grow up out of the system and out of foster care, um, there's so much more out there for them. That connection to their biological siblings or adopted siblings is so important to their childhood. One of the things that we see often is that um, our kids in care don't have pictures or mementos from their childhood, and we all have that. So we have those, those connections, not only the memories, but the things that, are, that tie us to our, our childhood and the pictures and blankets. Uh, when my sister got married, my mom took out her, her childhood baby blanket and gave it to her at the rehearsal dinner. So those connections to our childhood is so important as well with our siblings. And then on the flip side in helping um, the benefits to maintaining the sibling relationship and placing them together, is lots of studies out there have shown it reduces truancy, reduces juvenile delinquency, increases successive permanency, just improves overall well being and mental health well being, and decreases placement changes. And we'll talk more about that through uh, here in a minute. But for the siblings to know, where their siblings are, and how they're doing, that is so key. Because what happens a lot of times is if kids are going to disrupt placement, or run away, um, or have some behavior issues, it's not necessarily because they aren't seeing their their parents, it's because they aren't seeing their siblings, and they don't know where they are. I hear often times, more often than anything from the siblings and kids that I work with is, Stacey, I need to know where my siblings are. My siblings are the important relationship to me. Not that they don't love their biological parents or um, care about them because that is not the case at all. But that sibling relationship and knowing where they are is so key to them. And it's their primary relationship. Then knowing where each other how each other's doing and are they in school? Do they have their favorite stuffed animal? Who's putting them to bed at night? Is really, really important to their overall well-being. Which also means that if they know how their siblings are doing and that relationship is being maintained. Um, it might be a little bit easier in the homes that they're in with all of you.
0: Well, and I think a lot of times siblings are used to, they end up coming into care. They've parented each other. So then when they're pulled apart, I'm sure that's definitely an increase in
1: stress. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Because they know exactly, you're exactly right, Renee. They know how to care for their uh, brother or sister and know that at night he likes his favorite blanket or. She has a stuffed animal that she likes, or she really needs to have um, a a bottle of milk before she goes to bed. Um, Whatever it is, her favorite story, they know what they like to go to school with in their lunch boxes, things that kids shouldn't have to do for for their brothers and sisters. But yes, they do, which increases the stress and the anxiety for the kids about not knowing where they are and how they're doing and who's caring for them. Is Somebody else doing those things for them. And we even see that when they come to camp is we really have to reassure some of the kids that we got you, you don't have to parent. We just want you to be brothers and sisters and go to the lake and swim and do all of those things. We'll make sure everybody's got food and all the things they need at night. Um, And so it takes sometimes the kids a couple of days um, to really trust that, that, that we have them because that was their role. Yeah, that parentification is tough. So in the chat box, if you could just share what your experiences are with with siblings separating in foster care. So it it looks like several of you are experiencing that right now. Um, What are the challenges? What are your, what are your experiences? How long has that been going on? Whatever you'd like to share. Yeah. Do Um, you have
0: siblings in your care? Are they separated? Yeah.
1: And. I know from every foster parent I talk to, or work with, or answer calls from, um, you all get the importance of the sibling relationship, and we put so much on you as foster parents to make sure all their needs are being met. So I know this is an important piece of what you all, how you all want, to, how you all want to support the kids, um, amongst all the other things you have to do. All right we got some things popping up.
0: Yeah, let me see what we got here. We have two of five kiddos. They were originally placed together, but requested to be separated because they weren't getting along. And I'm sure that happens too, right? We now it have did- three bio kids and two foster. We get them together regularly, but the logistics and scheduling have been a huge
1: challenge. Yes. So the um, first one the first situation, I do hear that where we're not getting along and what, and without knowing the details, some of the questions, cause I get calls and saying, hey, we're trying to prevent that from happening. Um, what do we do? And I think, um, first of all, what I don't think is being done well prior to the separation of kids is, is really diving into what the problems are and why the behaviors are happening. Um, there are a lot of trauma-based behaviors that we all see, and that's not, and that's true for siblings. And so sometimes the quick decision is we're going to separate them because that will be easier. Um, when in fact, in the short and long term, it's not easier um, right. because we've just delayed trying to figure out the, the challenges that the kids are having, um, and so we do a disservice not only to the kids but to to all the care providers. Um, because the care providers and the foster parents, and if they're with kin, sometimes get blamed for the decision, Mm -hmm. even though it may not have been your choice. So, um, it does happen a lot. I've got several cases where one kiddo said, I need a break and there's no therapeutic work being done. There's no discussion about what's happening. And, and I'm like, what, what, or it takes weeks to get that set up, right? Weeks. the, The other
0: struggle Yes. Someone says you, we didn't get put into contact with our foster's sibling until recently, and she's 15 months old and has been with us since birth.
1: <clears throat> we don't want to stress say, you
0: out, Stacey. But this no, is these
1: happening. are the things that give me gray hair. I will, yeah. I will, <laughs> and I don't need help in that area. Um, <laughs> so one of the things I discovered more so with this year of summer camp is how um, that's happening a lot more than I would like it to be happening. Um, And the, um, the discussion about separating siblings is quick. And there's, what I'm understanding is there's not a whole, there's discussion happening, but not in depth about how do we work around that and not separate them? How do we work with the families who are going to be taking all the kids or if we have to separate them, setting up the families for success from the beginning. So getting foster parents here and foster parents here together and saying, okay, you have siblings. How can you work together? A lot of times you're all not introduced to each other until someone's 15 months old. What? So starting to set you all up for success um, Mm -hmm. at the beginning is something that I'm starting to work on. I think the pandemic really cause so many more problems already in an right. overburdened system. Um, and so that is frustrating. And as we get into the bill um, and the pieces of the bill, I'm so glad I'm able to talk to all of you about this because you have some a role in this, but you also have a voice in this on behalf of the kids that, that are in your care. Um, and I'll be working, like I said, with judges here very soon to start asking more questions at the bench. Um, of the department and the caseworkers and the GALs um, to say, hey, what what is happening and why are they separated and what are you doing to get them back together? Because there's an obligation to do that under the law.
0: Let me just read a few more situations. Yeah. Um, it's been hard on my foster child as they have been in care for almost eight years and mm-hmm. has been separated the whole time and was recently only able to see one of their siblings. Someone says ours has never had visits with any siblings. We have not had experience, but two foster youth who had been raised together since birth. One is adopted, waiting on the other, and cannot imagine them being apart. So that's another situation. We have the youngest of five. The oldest three are in one home. The fourth is in another. They are now all adopted. I wish we would have pushed to have the fourth join our home, but didn't want to traumatize him by moving him again. Uh, we have two siblings got one at six months and the other at five after she was left in the bio home after birth and then removed mm. we saw siblings still with bio parents can unintentionally create a sense of jealousy. Just by sharing what they do day to day. Sure, if one still gets to be with mom and dad, the foster child will feel left out and have their day or week ruined. And just a couple more here. My son was separated during our entire fostering experience, almost four years from his four younger siblings. He finally got to meet them again this year after adoption. It has been so great for all the kids. I'm not sure 100% why this couldn't have happened sooner. And then I have two sibling brothers, 10, 11, but I've had them for 16 months. They have seven siblings in four other Mm -hmm. homes, including two with bio mom. It's impossible to get everyone together. Um, We had a great, relationship first year and both valued this relationship since they were not a placement option for our kids however earlier this year we took a placement of a new sibling and our relationship has struggled greatly I think she's upset she didn't get the opportunity to take number four it hurts her to see us now yeah. I yeah this is all just heartbreaking and honestly for I'm surprised at how many of these families are not seeing their siblings. Is this just system overwhelm, Stacy? Are we just getting pe- kids placed and then working to put out the next fire?
1: I do think that's part of it. I think um, you know we've got listening to the numbers. We've got some large sibling groups that you some of you were talking about, um, which makes it harder to place. Um, I think. We do have an overburdened system. Some of the departments that I work most closely with, the turnover rate for caseworkers this year and since the beginning of the pandemic has been astronomical. Um, the stress of their job has been even harder in this last year and a half um, because these are ridiculous numbers and and um, stories that you're all telling me. And one of the things, one of the ones that which, which, by the way, um, uh, not that I needed the, the um, impetus, but it um, continues to prove to me that I need to be in front of judges and, and really um, talking with people about the decision makers, because this should not be happening.
0: Yeah. Let me read this last one that came in. Says, um, I'm really curious about efforts to get back together. We have offered to take all five kids, but they've told us no, because they don't want to disrupt current placements.
1: The oldest
0: of the five is with the other foster mom and gets along well with her. Um, So they have given her a say in that, but it's complicated to have them see each other. Absolutely.
1: It is. And this is where, um, the Sibling Bill of Rights comes into play. And, and this information is really helpful for me because I my partners at the state and the counties, um, they need to be aware of this. And I can go back to them and say, hey, let's look at this bill again. Um, and we'll talk about the bill in detail here in a moment. So this disruption of placement is one of the ones I definitely wanna chat about here for a second because um, I hear that a lot and it is, a valid and such a critical piece of the conversation, which is why um, the conversation and the plans and the relationship building between care providers needs to happen as soon as the kids are placed apart from each other. Um, Because the disruption of placement is, is real, but the disruption of the sibling relationship is a lifelong, there are lifelong consequences for that more so than changing placements. And so the the argument for that is, yes, the placement disruption is difficult. However, there are steps that can be taken to smooth that and make that transition easier. Um, But repairing the sibling relationship for kids who are separated for too long is almost impossible. I have a lot of adults that I work with that are young youth that are that were separated from their siblings and trying to repair the relationship now is, is impossible. And they said, Stacey, I wish you were around earlier when I was in care to talk to people and let them know that they're doing us a real disservice. So as foster parents, I think one of the things that you have at your disposal is this bill and saying, okay, but the law says um, the kids need to be seeing each other on a regular basis. They should be place together whenever possible. Um, And so how do we make that happen? And so one of the things I wanna be able to do throughout this uh, class is to empower you. I know you all use your voices on behalf of the kids, believe me, but this is another tool in your toolbox to say, but there's a bill, there's a law. It's not a bill anymore, there's a law that says these are the requirements and the obligation of the Department of Human Services and really the whole team around these kids. Um, but that placement disruption, while valid, is not something that should prevent kids from being placed together or seeing each other.
0: Well, and what I've seen over and over, Stacey, mentioning the new law, those laws do not always trickle down to the worker. No. They don't know, you guys.
1: You no. have to tell them. Yeah. And... Um, I did a series of trainings with uh, Rockmount Children's Law Center and the department last summer, not this past summer, but last summer, for the Department of Human Services. And I would be willing to bet that a lot of the folks that sat through that training and were um, interested in the topic, and they all are, please know that, um, probably aren't with the department anymore. So, um, because there has been such high turnover. So, um, it is... In common upon you as their care providers to say, "Hey, wait! There's an actual law." I say the same thing to CASA volunteers when I train them, um, and all the folks that that are in the lives of the kids um, can speak up and say, "Hey, this is really important." And it's also for um, placement disruption for for all of you. Um, right after camp, I had a mom who adopted two of three siblings. Um, say her son, one of her sons was really angry at her because she couldn't. he couldn't see his brother uh, regularly and blaming her. And I don't know all the history behind it, but I do know that they work together to get those kids together as often as possible. Um, and so he's better now, but the frustration, it, because you're the care provider and you're mom and dad, um, you're the ones who are gonna get blamed even if it's not it's not your fault, but even if you're not responsible for the decision. And so one thing I want to make sure I tell you, and I'll probably say it again, is any efforts that you make on behalf of your kids to maintain the sibling relationship, document that for them. So no matter how young they are, so someone in here was talking about a 15-month-old just learning and meeting their younger sibling or older sibling. Um, Every effort you make as their parent, um, document that. And as they get older and they start saying, Hey, you didn't let me see my sibling. You can say, no, I really fought for you. And here's what I did. If nothing else, it maintains your relationship with your kids and lets them know that you, you really did support that relationship and you want to continue to try and help them connect. Um, because that is one of the things I hear from foster parents or adoptive parents. That is the hardest thing is they didn't get to see their siblings and then they blame you and it's not your fault. Um, so document that for them. <clears throat> Thank you for sharing all those experiences. And um, as much as I would love to dive into each one individually, you will have my contact information. I'm happy to help. And I'll say that again at the end um, on individual situations if I can. Yeah, let's dig in a little bit. We yeah. have do
0: have some questions that I'll toss them a bit, but let's dig in a little bit to the law first.
1: So the law, it started with the Fostering Connections Act, which is a federal law in 2008, with reasonable efforts must be made to place siblings removed from their home in the same foster home, kinship home, or adoptive placement. Um, So reasonable efforts is a pretty broad term. Um, And then in the case of siblings removed from their home who are not so jointly placed, provide for frequent visitation, Um, also, We don't know what frequent means. It's not a very well detailed federal
2: law. So this new bill
1: um, starting in Colorado. So there are not many states across the country that have specific bills um, and laws for the sibling relationship. So it came about because the youth at Project Foster Power through the Rocky Mountain Children's Law Center Every single year, they pick a topic that's important to them. And in 2019, um, I think what year this was, in 2019, they came together and said, "The sibling, our sibling relationship is so important to us. Not only do we want to advocate for it, we want to pass a bill. And so they worked with the lawyers at Rocky Mountain Children's Law Center and other folks who write law. Um, and the bill, I got to testify alongside them, although let me be clear, they did not need me. Um, because they spoke so eloquently about the the pain of being separated from their siblings. And the bill passed unanimously in the Colorado House and Senate. Um, and it became law in, in 2019. And this picture up here at the top, there was a sibling rally. And just side note for me personally, um, I was the only adult ally they asked to speak at the rally. And it was a moving moment for me because the sibling relationship is so important to me, but these kids and these young people just fought so hard so that youth coming up behind them don't experience the same thing they did. So <clears throat> here's the law, and then I've got some things highlighted in the next slides. It pertains specifically to foster parents. Um, so this so, law
0: right here, Stacey, is the Colorado one you're talking this about. This is the Colorado
1: law. Sibling Bill yes. of
0: Rights, okay.
1: Yes, yes, thank you for the clarification. So siblings should be placed in the same home whenever possible and when in the best interest of each sibling. There are always going to be reasons that kids can't be placed together. Um, But the majority of the time, whenever possible, um, hopefully there can be exceptions made for the number of kids that can be in homes and and things like that. But um, whenever possible, that should be the consideration. Close geographic area location to each other. This is something that is not being followed well um respite placements together whenever possible be placed in the same foster adoptive and assigned to caseworkers who've been trained on the importance of the sibling relationship that is a work in progress that piece um something new that was not always the situation is adult siblings have the right to be considered displacement options for their minor siblings Um, i'm seeing a little bit more of that discussion happening which is good Um, but also we need to make sure that they have the support they need to help parent their siblings.
2: Um,
1: Siblings have a right to be told when placement changes are happening. Um, If there's a catastrophic event and that can be a severe illness, even if they're hospitalized for something, other circumstances cause them to move. Um, And the siblings, every sibling has a right to be included in permanency planning discussion and sibling meetings as appropriate. Um, but that's a really important piece because what we hear from the youth on a regular basis is I don't have a voice in any of this. Um, and so now they get to, they should be part of the planning discussions of where kids are being placed if they can't be placed together. So here are some of the key pieces for all of you as foster parents and adoptive parents of these kiddos is to maintain frequent and meaningful contact with one another if they're not placed together. And we'll talk about meaningful contact here in a moment, but frequent, and in my mind, frequent is at least weekly. Um, it doesn't outline exactly, it, actually it might, I haven't read the details of the bill for a minute, but frequent means at least weekly um, and getting a little creative on what that looks like. It does not have to be in person. Um, I learned not a couple of years ago that my nephews, who uh, their cousins, were talking to each other through their Xbox. I don't understand the technology, but they were playing games and they were communicating that way. Um, What we've seen in the pandemic is there's all sorts of ways we can communicate with each other now. While it's not ideal, it's a better option if you can get on FaceTime, even if it's for five minutes and they can see each other's faces and see, hey, he or she looks okay, um, or they seem to be doing okay today, or they just need five minutes with their brother or sister um, because they had a really bad day at school. So it does not always have to be in person, but thinking outside the box and can we offer different ways, um, FaceTime, Zoom, whatever that may be, um to be actively involved in each other's lives and share celebrations if the children, siblings choose to do so included but not limited to birthdays graduations holidays extracurriculars all the things the kids are involved in um birthdays are a big one that don't happen enough where they're celebrating their birthdays together um and we'll t- we'll talk about some ways that maybe that can be supported here in a moment <clears throat> And to annually receive contact information for their siblings, Um, and there is consideration giving to foster parents if we need to keep some identifying information confidential. Because I do know on this piece that sometimes the biological families make it difficult for siblings to get together, particularly if one sibling is with a bio parent or there's challenges with the biological family. Um, So there was that protection put in place in the law. this is a really key one, this next one, to have more private, less restricted communication with each other as compared to others who are not siblings. So this is particularly if you compare it to uh, parenting time, so often parenting time, even phone conversations have to be supervised by an adult. That is not true for the sibling relationship. So if there's not therapeutic issues, um, they can be on the phone to with each other without you listening in um, and give them some space to just have that conversation with each other. Um, so they don't have to be supervised unless there's some therapeutic need for that. And they are should be told with an explanation of contact with the sibling is denied. And um, that should come from the caseworker or the guardian ad litem as well. Um, to have contact with siblings encouraged in adoptive or guardianship placement. So one of the things that I asked to be added to the bill in particular was educating all the folks who are going to adopt kids as early as possible if the siblings are separated to help maintain that. Because I do see frequently that um, kids are cut off from each other for a variety of reasons um, after adoption. Um, Because I think there are some folks who think that it's better for the kids if they just cut off all ties to their biological family because of trauma. And when in fact, cutting off the sibling relationship is gonna do more, oftentimes more harm than good. And then have a written visitation plan. So kids are visual. And so if they have a written visitation plan of when they're going to see their sibling next or when the next time they get to be on the phone or, hey, you know what, I'm thinking about my sibling. Can I draw him a picture and put it in the mail? Um, things like that. Just a way to stay connected and then have that plan so they can see it and it's tangible for them.
0: I have a couple questions yeah. regarding this, Stacy. Someone says I've never heard of siblings being part of permanency planning discussions. What does that look? Is there an age
1: minimum? What does that look like when their opinion should be heard? So, great question. One, um, kids in the state of Colorado have always had the right to be part of their permanency hearings. Um, there's no minimum age for that. Same here with this this discussion. Um, it's when the kids are old enough to have the conversation and and that could be different. I had a seven-year-old kiddo tell the judge what he wanted for his own permanency plan once. So um, the discussion should be with the caseworker, the guardian ad litem, care providers can be there, whatever that, whoever wants to be part of those family meetings should be there, but the kids should be heard. Their CASA volunteer can be there um, saying, we want to be together, and if we can't, this is what we need. One of the things we do at Elevating Connections is let the kids know what their rights are with this bill. Um, But as foster parents, you can help the kids find their voice and say, hey, they really want to see each other and be at this meeting talking about permanency. Um, How do we make that happen? And your GAL can help you with that too. Um, But I can tell you those, those conversations are not happening regularly. Um, but I'm hoping to help change that. Other questions?
0: Yeah, there is one more that I think is interesting. So someone has a child in care that they are heading to adoption with. They've had her since she was six days old. Bio mom, uh, is pregnant again and incarcerated. Um, when she gave birth, the baby went to a relative's house because the bio mom made a plan with her lawyer um, when she was pregnant. Um, there were no drugs involved in this pregnancy. So bio mom made a, made a plan with her lawyer to go to this, this relative. So their question is, you know, is there anything they could do? Of course they want the siblings to grow up together. I'm sure right. the county is saying they want them to stay with family. So what trumps what in that
1: situation? so so there is an open dependency neglect case for the new baby i don't think so okay um that is one of the keys so if you are able to have in this case if you're able to have any contact with the kin provider that has the baby um i think having a conversation and working on a plan together directly with that person um is appropriate and reaching out saying hey we, the siblings want, want to be together. And one thing you can use, because one of the arguments I get for that is, well, the baby doesn't know that they have a sibling. They will know um, as they grow up and they will know that they were separated from their siblings. So starting that conversation now and saying, hey, can we get them together for play dates or um, just having them spend time together, I think it's perfectly appropriate for you to do um, if you have that ability to get their contact information. And I'd be happy to talk that out more um, outside of this webinar.
0: Yeah. It sounds like they're doing the right thing in this. Mm -hmm. Like they want these siblings to be together, but now they're kind of
1: unsure of how to make that happen. And it's really the adults talking, which um, in theory sounds so easy. And I know that it's not, Um, but if you've got a way to connect with that with the care provider, that's where I would start. Um, and, and I'm happy to help with those conversations or um, be kind of a, a neutral party, uh, helping support that introduction in any way that I can. And also just talking about ways to, to make that happen. Um, because in the long run, it's really easy as human beings for us to think in the moment of how do we manage this situation? But supporting the sibling relationship is not only about right now, but it's the long-term for these kids and your families um, and, and where they end up permanently. So it's short-term and long-term. And when we start thinking about it in the long-term, it makes some of these conversations a little, um, I do know if easier is the right word, but, Um, there's more weight behind having the conversation saying, yeah, we get now it's a little difficult for all of these reasons. However, these kids are not gonna be little forever.
2: Um, And so we need to try and support that relationship. So it's the short-term and the long-term. Great questions. So within the bill, um,
1: the spirit of the bill is, or the law is that it's the responsibility of all adults involved in the youth, in the youth, <laughs> in the children's lives to seek opportunities to support the relationship. Um, the onus is on the department of human services. There's a lot of responsibility in the bill on the caseworker, um, which in an ideal world, the caseworkers have, you know, three cases and can do all of that. So While the responsibility is with the Department of Human Services, all the folks that are involved in their lives should be advocating for this relationship. Um, so Bio parents can absolutely do that, and I see that happen quite frequently, um, where the bio parents are saying, my kids need to spend more time together. Can you make that happen? I don't need to be there. Um, foster parents, certainly, guardians ad litem, CASA, next of kin, um, treatment providers, And that one's tricky. I wanna talk about that for a sec. And then um, anyone else involved in their lives, it can be teachers or um, neighbors, folks who know them can advocate and say, hey, the kids need to see each other. Not only is it best for them, but it's the law. Um, And the more caseworkers hear that, they want to support the relationship. They wanna make these things happen. Um, But it really does take a village like every other aspect of, of caring for children, It really does take a village. Um, And there's folks to help with that, including me. Um, So treatment providers, when um, we're talking about treatment for kids who've been separated, the the kids usually have their own therapists. And there can be competing interests from therapists to try and get the kids together. So um, one thing to advocate for or be aware of if kids are in therapy separately and there's discussion about having sibling therapy together to try and maintain the relationship or repair it, uh, there could be barriers from one therapist not thinking the kiddo's ready. You can still fight for that and still advocate for that um, because there's ways to do sibling safe sibling visits therapeutically without derailing the rest of their therapy. And I can be part of that. discussion. I'm not a therapist, but... Um, just having some common sense around (laughs) maintaining that sibling relationship and seeing how that impacts their overall well-being are discussions I have on a regular basis with therapists. All right. So meaningful sibling contact, I keep talking about that. Here's the thing. Um, Kids need time to just be with their siblings without anybody else around, obviously age appropriate. Um, but oftentimes what we've seen prior to the, bell, to the law being implemented and still now is that parenting time is used as sibling contact time. So I don't know about you, but when I'm with my sisters, even now, um, and my mom is here, it's a little bit different dynamic. We love our mom, um, but things change. So with kids, They act differently when the adults are around, and, um, but when they're together and just being siblings, they just have fun, they fight, they do all the things, um, but they don't have to do it in the context of, this is my role in the family when mom and dad are around. We had a sibling connecting event last Saturday, or last Sunday at the park, and um, some of the kids, we just, my team and I just kind of set back a little bit and let the kids decide when they're gonna eat, what activities they wanted to do. So then we had, we had a group of kids come together and start a kickball game. Then we had some kids playing basketball. And what it was is we just let them be kids and let the siblings decide what they wanted to do with each other and the other kids that were there. Um, and it was really um, awesome to watch because they were just kids. They weren't kids in foster care, um, although they were with kids who understand. Um, we just let them be and didn't dictate a whole lot of how they should spend their time. Um, and so we're different and the kids are different when they have, don't have their care providers around. Yeah, Any I questions totally about that?
0: See that? I could totally yeah. see it be like, well, they saw each other at visit.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: That's not the same.
1: No. And I, I know I'm sure, so I've observed and, and, um, observed a lot of parenting time, um, in my 10 years in child welfare with the siblings, um, in the room with mom and dad, and then with each other outside of parenting time. Mm -hmm. And the dynamic is so different because they fall back into their roles with mom and dad, even if mom and dad are making progress therapeutically and doing the things they need to do, the kids don't know that. And so they fall back into those, those, um, old habits and patterns because that's what they know. And then that does not benefit the sibling relationship. So the bill also states that sibling contact needs to happen on its own, um, outside the parents.
0: Someone had a follow-up question to the the law, Stacey. Does the the law give us legal right to be in contact with siblings? Um, We have a son who has an older sibling who lives with a relative out of state and we would very much like for the kids to know each other. I've asked the department to put us in contact but never hear anything back. It's been two years.
1: Hey. So one of the challenges with the law that can't extend, it can't extend to other states and once an adoption happens, um, these things, the, there's no recourse Um, unfortunately, which is why all the discussions and the plans need to happen before adoption or case closure. So we need need to think on that one. In the land of social media, um, it's possible to track people down. I'm not very good at it, but I know people can track folks down um, through social media, which is one way to go. If the department, once they don't have a legal um legal authorization for a kid who's not part of the case and living out of state with a care provider that's not on the case. Um so that is a challenge of the of the law. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah and I'll let you know if anything follow up comes through.
1: Okay. Yeah. So I'm also happy to talk through um ways to manage that because sometimes it I sometimes have just one conversation with foster parents or care providers and just talk about, uh, I'm an extra set of eyes and can look at these situations with a fresh set of eyes and maybe offer some pointers of some things to try that you may not have thought of because it's harder when you're in it and know the kids and love the kids. So I'm um, happy to, to talk any of these situations out um, outside of this class. So this is your turn to throw some things into chat. Um, what differences do you see in your kids when they get to spend time together? And then what do your kids say is most important to them when it comes to their brothers and sisters? Yeah, this is but, interesting. I'll be interested to see if, mm-hmm. does it
0: feel awkward when they get together? Does it take them a bit to warm
1: up? And um, I think so for summer camp, which I'll talk even more about here in a few minutes um, it does take, when we get them together, the beauty of camp is they get a whole week together. Right. Um, but it does take them um, in a, in the span of camp, it can take them a good 24 hours to start feeling comfortable. And that doesn't seem like a lot of time, but it's compact and they're together all day yeah. um, doing everything together. And so um, some of them like right away, get into their, their old patterns or, or they're jumping in and playing together others. It takes a little time. Um, and we have lots of conflicts camp and not conflicts, but it can take a little bit of time for them to get used to each other. Um, and it's sped up because they're together every day at camp, but it can.
0: But what a gift for them to have that opportunity. I can't imagine the pressure of, okay, you have a two hour visit, Mm-hmm. You know, get everything in that you need to get in,
1: right? Which is why, and we'll talk more about this in a second. Um, thinking outside the box about what contact looks like—it does not always have to be in person. That's ideal, but there's a reality um, to the, you know, the relationships and where they're living and how far apart they are, and the obligations that that foster parents have to the kids and everything they need to take care of for them. But also, if we look at the relationship and how we have it, I don't see my sisters every day. Um, but I can talk to them. I can text them. I can email them. We use Marco Polo a lot. Um, So what are the things we can do for the kids that are outside seeing each other? Because that connection doesn't go away. And so when we rely just on the in-person, when they do see each other, it takes a little bit longer for them to connect. Um, But thinking outside the box and helping them have contact in between is really key.
0: Yeah. I'll let you know um, what things end up coming in, but I do. Oh, here's, here's one. But before I read this one, you just mentioned Marco Polo. That is a fantastic app. You guys, it's kind of a video walkie talkie. Mm -hmm. Um, We use it on our team to stay in touch, but that would be a great option for siblings.
1: Um, Yeah. It's such a great, it's a great app. I use it with my nephew who's in college this year. Um, Yeah.
0: Yeah. Someone says the oldest two are in very different places. I feel like when they get together, they tend to spiral and go to a more negative place, which is really hard when they're with the younger siblings as well. They have a lot more fun, but we often have to do damage control. Absolutely. With drama, it's really affected the other foster mom and my relationship as well, which is hard. Oh, thank you for sharing that. That is, (laughs) that is hard. Sure. I never even thought about that, but then there's struggle between caregivers too.
1: Yes. Yes. Um, And that is a very common situation that I, that I hear about um, because it's your job to protect the kids in your home. And part of that is letting them see their siblings, but also being cognizant that um, there's going to be emotions and how to get prepared for those. So um, my question or my something for you to ponder on. And again, happy to chat after or outside of this class, but is um, is there any therapeutic work being done with the older siblings? Um, are they telling you anything that I do want to spend time with my older sibling, but it's hard because, or I don't want to spend time with them and I'm being forced to, which not necessarily, I'm not saying that's the case, just wondering um, some things to think about. Um, and, Have the two older siblings ever sat down and just kind of um, had the conversation about I'm mad at you because or I'm hurt because um, and giving them space to do that. We had a sibling group at camp that has been part of our organization for a long time. And then they were hadn't seen each other for about two years and started seeing each other again at some of our events and on birthday party night at camp, they had quite um, a. Escalated conversation, not to the point that we had to separate them, but a lot of emotions came out and I just stood back for a little while and let them have that conversation so they could say to each other, I'm mad at you because you didn't do this for me because, and all the things that came out. And then what they realized in that moment is they had similar feelings and had never been able to express them to each other. Um, And so we gave them space to do that. I do have therapists on staff in case something goes, you know, they need that conversation, but um, they just had an opportunity to just be really honest with each other. And as painful as some of the things were that they said to each other, there was an honesty that happened and they were given the opportunity to do that. Oftentimes we don't allow that to happen because we don't want the kids triggered. We don't want to create um, more stress for the kids or the care providers. Um, But or, and if we give them that opportunity to do that, it starts doing some, some breaking down of some of that pain that they have, because sometimes they blame each other for the situation that they're in. And it's, that's not the case, but it's easy to do that. It's healing then.
0: Yeah. Right. Your is, work is so important, Stacey. It's Thank just you. so, so important what you're doing. I never would, I've actually never thought about the fact that there can be trauma, you know, how kids after visit, they, they mm-hmm. cry all night or we, we kind of call it, It's kind of a hangover after visit for a while. Yeah. yeah. That happens. I'm sure with sibling visits too.
1: Oh yes. And maybe having, um, something, uh, some, uh, processing time with the kids after sibling contact. So, um, what does that look like? Could it be they draw pictures or they go, if there's a favorite place that they like to go, they go for ice cream, whatever you do as a family, um, is there something that can be done that doesn't move right into another activity, but something to give them time to kind of process out what just happened. Um, And that could be a conversation with the older kids about what that could look like for them. One of the things that we also do at LA Connections is raise youth voice and empower youth to use their voice, but also talk to care providers and CASAs and all the folks that work with the older kids to help them find their voice. Um, And so just asking what would be helpful or should we come up with something together after you see your brother or sister, because I know you want to, but sometimes it's stressful. What can we do after that might help, might help you feel better afterwards? So giving them a voice in some of this and, or is there something you want to say to your brother that you've always been wanting to say, let's say it or let's write it down. Um, Cause sometimes getting it out might, might help. So asking the question, I think what happens oftentimes is we think as human beings, and I don't think this is true just for the child welfare system, but as human beings, we think of things and say, well, if we don't mention it, it's not gonna be stressful, they won't think of it. When in fact, the kids are thinking, some of the stress that they have is, I'm mad because I don't know when I'm gonna see them again, or um, I'm mad because last time we were together, he said this, or I had a sibling group at camp this summer where the younger kiddo just blamed his older sister because she didn't take good care of him because their mom couldn't. Um, And some of that stuff comes out and you're like, wait, what? So um, allowing them to say those things as difficult as they can be, and then making sure they have the opportunity to process that either therapeutically or with you. Um, So helping create some rituals perhaps around that sibling contact might help. Super. Okay, so putting it all together, um, as we've been talking about, you can help ensure the sibling relationship is supported and maintained. And I think one of the things that can happen, and I know when you get a new placement and get kids in your care, there's so many things that, that you have to consider and get set up and get ready for them. This should be at the top of the list, too. So if you know they have siblings and maybe even asking the question because it sounds like some of you don't even know that they have siblings until they've been in placement for a while, which I I don't even know how to respond to that. Um, But other than what? I don't understand. Um, But you asking, say, hey, do they have any siblings we need to be aware of? Because they can also have siblings that are no longer in care. Um, Some could have turned 18 and been out of the system. Um, So just asking the question, do they have any siblings? Okay, yes, they do. When can they see them? What does that look like? Where are they? And so you asking that question will help keep that relationship a priority for the department and the GAL.
0: Can I give another uh, situation that came in as as siblings working together? Someone says I had the second of six kids, 15 to 16 year old and all the kids blamed each other, set each other up for trouble, got in fist fights. It was hard. Now four of them are together and it's been rough. The youngest is fragile, terminal and adopted. The oldest has been on the run for years in mom's gang. We tried monthly get togethers, but had to do it two kids at a time. Mm -hmm. I wish we had a good therapist who would have worked with them all from the start.
1: Yes. I wish, I wish that for you as well. And um, I mean, sometimes this is put on foster parents and
0: we are not equipped to therapeutically
1: handle that. No. And that is frustrating for me on behalf of all of you, um, because it is so you get the, you get it all because you're raising these kids, whether it's temporarily or permanently. And so you get all the stuff that comes with them being in care and, and why they're in care. Um, so what it does sound like to me though, is you tried to make the best of a very difficult situation. And sometimes it isn't safe for kids to be together both physically and emotionally. Um, and so. Which I, I want to credit you and say, thank you to you for trying to be creative and thinking about how to maintain that relationship. Um, and there, is, there should be more therapeutic work done with kids at the beginning, as soon as they're separated. Um, and even if they stay together, we do a lot of work around trying to maintain placements and maintain them from, from being separated, um, but it's hard because of that trauma. And what we don't have enough of in the state of Colorado are therapists who are trained to work with the specific trauma of kids in care um, and the sibling relationship. So sure. I don't have a great answer for that other than to say thank you for, for trying to be creative and still maintain that relationship. But there's also something to be said for everyone has to stay safe, including you. Um and sometimes it it can't, it's not appropriate to, right. to bring siblings together.
0: Well, and I would say one thing that when you do our equine program, um, one thing they talk a lot about there is redefining success. Yes. So in this situation two of the six at a time is mm-hmm. redefining what success looks like for a sibling visit. So Absolutely. kudos to this foster parent for not just saying, well, if they all can't be together, right. it can't happen. You redefine success and you do what's appropriate and safe at the time.
1: Absolutely. I, I cannot say that better myself. So um, there are, you get these kids already in Um, fragile states and they've been through so much. And you are not, you are miracle workers in your own way because you create safe spaces and and places for them to be loved and cared for. And you fight for them in ways that they don't always know. Um, I tell this to the CASA volunteers that I work with. They don't always know all the things that you're doing to help me to support them and advocate for them and care for them. I can assure you that is the same thing for the kids that you all care and love. Um, care for and love, they don't know everything that you're doing and, and the, and the love and care and heartache that goes with all of this. They don't know that. So I do. um, And I know what you're all doing for them every single day, just by being here, you know, the importance of this relationship and trying to figure out how to support it. So redefining success is hugely important for all of you um, to know, because there's certain things that can't be fixed, but trying is a success in, of its own.
0: This is interesting, Stacy. Um, yeah. someone says we, we had two boys in care, two and four years old. The four-year-old would often hit and push the two-year-old. He had a lot yeah. of bruises. We did not ask for them to be separated. You know, they were trying to help and make it. Yeah. So it's not dangerous. Yeah. It ended up that the two-year-old's elbow was broken. And at the hospital, they looked at the bruises and they ended up pulling the boys because they thought it was foster parent
1: induced. Yes. I, that just, um, I'm so sorry for that because you were trying to protect those boys and maintain that relationship. But I will say this, and I have said this to foster parents in the past, you also need to take care of yourselves, um, and your whole family. And so, If there's a safety issue in the home that cannot be mitigated or fixed through therapy or other supports in those cases, and I don't say this lightly because this is my work, but there are times where it is appropriate to ask for um, separation and it can even be temporary. And the ask can be with therapy and with support. Like, let's not just separate them. Let's see what we can do. But there's a lot of trauma to that four-year-old boy um, clearly if he was taking it out on his younger sibling. So I am sorry you had that experience.
0: I put our therapy link in the chat again, foster source slash yes. therapy to help, um, to help you, um, the mm-hmm. parent, um, cope and yeah. work through that trauma for, that you experienced as well.
1: Yes, please. I just learned today that that is a resource that foster source, um, provides. It is, I'm overwhelmed by, I think how amazing that is because you all need to take care of yourselves because you can't take care of the kids if you can't do that. And you deserve to, to have a space for yourselves as well. So I appreciate you doing that, Renee. Yeah, absolutely. Foster parents, do very, very hard work, don't they?
0: Yeah. Oh my God.
1: Yes. Bless. Yes. Um, <laughs> yes. Thank I, you. Yeah. Without you, I, I shudder to think where some of these kids would be. Um, so this is for you. And I think we've kind of talked about this, but are there other ways that you're maintaining the sibling relationship and, um, that might benefit other folks here today, hearing about, um, tips and tricks that you've used, that has been successful, things like that. So a question about how
0: to advocate. Yeah. You know, if you're not hearing back from your caseworker or mm-hmm. well, and my suggestion is to always when you send out a communication, send it to the whole team, including yes. your CASA, your GAL, your mm-hmm. cert worker, your caseworker, the whole team. And yeah. a lot of foster parents, particularly newer foster parents, are somewhat hesitant to be the squeaky wheel be the squeaky wheel. That is your job. Um, often they're afraid that the children will get pulled and we just heard an example where they were pulled. Um, but sometimes you have
1: to be that squeaky wheel. Yes. And I think the exception was those kids being pulled and you know, I, um, they aren't Hold um, as quickly as I. They my experiences, and and I'm not a foster parent, but what they do appreciate is. Let me let me say this caveat: they may not always show the appreciation, but um, I am on the other side of it with costa and with Elevating Connections and being part of those discussions. And nobody knows the kids better in this moment in time than you do, um, because you are raising them and you are caring for them and and supporting them through all the things that they've experienced and the aftermath of that. So your voice on behalf of these kids matters as much, if not more so than everybody else involved in the case.
0: Absolutely.
1: Um, And I don't know that this is shared enough, but you all have a right to talk to the judge too. Um, And so if there's a time that you want to be in court, talk to your cert worker, talk to the um, GAL can help do that, the case worker, but As the care provider, you can go to court and say, you know, I'd like to speak on behalf of the kids. Um, And another way to do that is if you aren't comfortable doing that or can't get there, if you have a CASA volunteer, they can help do that for you, too. Um, That's what we coach our volunteers to do is share what the foster parents or the care providers are saying. Um, But you know these kids better than anybody and your voice matters for them.
0: Here's a great uh, suggestion that someone did. She says, we requested an intern to help facilitate sibling visits since life is busy and coordinating between the families is hard. They said yes, but it hasn't happened yet. I'm hopeful it will go through because I think it would eliminate a lot of the drama and it would make it a more regular event. Brilliant idea.
1: Yeah. Um, I'm glad the
0: county seems to be on board with it because... Yeah. Again, you career, know what yeah. you need, right? Yep. So if you know what you need, that's what you ask for. You don't yeah. have to ask for something that's already in place.
1: You can tell them what you need. Yes. Because what you need is serving the kid, like it and making that connection and, and saying those words, because <laughs> this yeah. is for the kids to avoid a disruption in placement or in them not going to school, whatever the issues are, or so we can get the kids together. Um, you have a right to ask for that because right now, whether it's temporary permit, you're their parent um, and you know them better in this moment in time than anybody else. Cannot say that enough. This is a really interesting
0: question, Stacy. Would yeah. you recommend us ever initiating placement termination with the goal of sibling reunification? So if we disrupt, yeah. it's likely that siblings would go to the other family that has the other siblings.
1: I, that, is a, that question gave me the chills because I think that's um, a very selfless, self, selfless um, question and thinking about the kids. Because um, So my answer to that is hopefully you don't have to get to that point um where you're saying i want to disrupt because we want the kids to be together if that's the case let the judge know let your casa know let the jail case worker know that it makes more sense at this point for these kids to be together and if this is the only way we can make that happen i'm going to do that um but my hope is that the discussion can happen well before that um disruption and get the kids ready for transition back with their siblings um so it wouldn't be my first way to go, but it's something to keep in your back pocket because sometimes, as we know in child welfare, we got to think outside the box and kind of pull out all the stops. Um, no one's ever asked that question before, but that's an Great interesting question. Yeah. 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 Um, if the only, because one of the things that I think can happen in a transition um, for that placement disruption question is, um, how do the care providers work together to make that transition a little bit easier um, for the kids? And I think too many times when we get anxious in the system to make a transition to back home to mom and dad or to another foster home or whatever that happens too quickly. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. And so letting that transition kind of play out a little bit longer. Um, and that's something you can advocate for is uh, I think and saying, Hey, let's do this slowly. Let's do overnight, you know, let's start with some, um, sibling visits at my house and then at the the other house and then overnights and let them have time together at both homes and then to the home that they're going to. I think transitions happen too quickly.
0: I may need a follow-up from the person who submitted this. Um, She says, do you think disruption is valuable if the kids will be going back to bio family within the year? Um, I do think I need so disruption. Yeah, I'm not sure I yeah. all of oh, we understand that. So if you can give us a little bit more on that, yeah. um, disruption uh, is always hard. Let's start. Yeah, there. yeah. Um,
2: but moving from
0: oh, she says moving from two foster homes separated to one foster home together. Oh, so she's okay. saying. Would that be better to do a disruption right now so they can stay together and care for the rest of the time they're in care, even though they're likely all going back to BIOS within a year?
1: Potentially, yes. Um, Yeah, I think if there's a way to keep the siblings together, um, that transition home might be easier if they're already together, because then what's happening is we have a transition of siblings from separate homes back home to mom or dad. Um, so if the siblings are already together, it might be one less step when they go back home. Um, so that's true because that's a
0: transition in itself. It is. So if they're, they're already Mm -hmm. reconnected and functioning and doing okay.
1: Yes. And I think one of the things we, when kids transition home, um, that, I don't know that we prepare them for is that mom and dad, if the kids are going home, hopefully mom and dad have done the work. And so they're going to be parenting differently. So there's not a lot of work that's done, I think to transition and let the kids understand that and really see the differences in mom and dad. So if the siblings are together prior to going home, that might ease some of those kinds of things because they, they don't have to transition with so many people.
0: And I would Uh, say, I think this is probably obvious, but this is something that you want to work with, with the County on and not just assume that if you disrupt, they'll put the siblings together Correct. because that may not happen. No. And then it's a disruption that, that could be more damaging.
1: Exactly. And, you know, there's also, um, power in numbers. So if you are working with the foster parents of the other kiddos, the siblings together and saying, Hey, we think this makes sense to transition the kids this way. They can. I'm happy to have them all in my home or or the other foster parents are happy to have them in their home. Um, Here's what we're thinking for the transition. Caseworkers may very well say yes or tweak the the solution a little bit because they don't always have the solutions. Um, We present them with so many problems. They don't always have the solutions, but you might. So working together with the other care providers and saying, hey, here's what we're thinking would work what do you all think, GAL caseworker? Um, Because sometimes the solutions are presented, they're like, oh, hey, that makes sense. So don't be afraid to ask for it. Great questions, thank you so much. So some of the barriers have been discussed a a little bit, placement's too far, but what other barriers do you encounter when trying to maintain the relationship? if we haven't already talked about them.
0: Well, it sounds like for some of them, just not just distance, but like relationships with the other caregivers.
1: Yes, and that's something um, that I'm hoping to address them. One of the things we'd like to do at Elevating Connections is have family weekends um, at camp uh, where we can have the families that have siblings come together. Um, and do some education and having some fun at camp and just letting you all get to know each other. Because I think um, it's a different kind of family that you can create in a bond if you're, if you're working together with the other parents. But you all have so much on your plate. So giving you space to do that is something that we're hoping to do.
0: Um, someone says when one sibling is in a psych facility, what does that look like, Stacey, when one sibling is in residential or a medical facility and the others are in a foster home? How does that usually look?
1: Yeah, that's, those are certainly the bigger challenges, but that's where the thinking outside the box, can your kiddo write letters or can they, um, which is a lost art, um, but um, can they share pictures or stories or things back and forth with each other that would help them stay connected? Um, Can they have any FaceTime or things like that? Because sometimes seeing each other outside the facility is difficult and it may not be great for your kiddo to go to a medical facility, um, but asking the team what kind of contact if any they can have and thinking outside the box on that a little bit. Um, because for the kiddo that's hospitalized or in residential, it might be a nice connection for them saying, okay, my brother and my sister is thinking about me and I have something I can hold onto, a picture, a story, a stuffed animal, something like that. Um, so I think, It's really easy for us, and I say this as the global us in child welfare, to be like, they're in a facility, so there's not much we can do right now, when in fact there are some things that we can do for all the kids to to, um, maintain the connection, even in a small way. Um, And we just have to ask the question. Do kiddos
0: from residential ever get to come to a camp?
1: Yeah, yeah, Um, they do, because some kids have been in residential for too long. Um, but yeah, the, the thing we look at is safety, obviously, and why they're in residential, because some kids are in residential because they haven't been able to find a placement for them yet, but don't have any behaviors that are overly concerning. Um, so yeah, we had, do we have any this summer? I think we did. Yes, we did. Um, we usually have some every summer. Awesome. Yeah, and so that's another question because I'll have conversations with the team and the, the therapeutic support folks at the residential program. Um, one thing we want to know is if um, there's been contact with the siblings prior to camp, because uh, that can be a little bit challenging. So I will have that conversation, see if we can have any contact in some way with the siblings if they've been once been in residential before they come to camp. It's not a barrier or a, a definite no, but it makes the transition into camp a little easier and then the transition out of camp a little easier too. Um, Great. Again, more great questions. Thank you. So I want you to remember, um, you're not alone in this effort. Um, And I'm sure it feels like it sometimes. Um, But care providers, caseworkers, GALs, CASA, judges, the judges can help. And like I said, uh, working about to start working with judges who are currently on the bench and some that are retired who are passionate about this relationship and understanding what their role is. In um, and, the, and the, being the final decision makers in this relationship and this discussion. Um, but thinking outside the box a little bit here, teachers, coaches, biological family. One thing that we get sometimes stuck on is that their bio family, they can't have contact at all with any bio family, but that's not true. Some relatives can't take on the responsibility um, of full-time care, but they can help maintain the relationship. So If there's an uncle or an aunt or a cousin that loves all the kids maybe they can have a joint sleepover together or um, they can pick up the kids from you sometime and get them all together so it maintains a relationship with their bio family but also allows the kids to be spend time together Um, friends parents so thinking outside the box i think one thing that child welfare forces us to do but i've seen a change in 10 years that i've been in it is that um, we kind of just look at the small group of people who are appointed to the case or assigned to the case. um, When in fact, there's folks outside we can branch out a little bit. Um, Even the the foster foster source and reaching out to each other and saying, hey, I could use some help or what have you done? Um, And using each other as resources. So we're also looking at sustainability. So like I mentioned earlier, We wanna make sure that not only what we're doing makes sense in the here and now, but what is the long-term ramifications of the decisions being made for the kids? Um, I was in a meeting the other day where we're talking about permanency. And um, when we're moving older kids in particular, what we're talking about is like looking at what the next placement makes sense for them. We're not talking about permanency and what all of this looks like when when the system goes away, when the caseworker, the GAL, CASA, all of us go away and the kids are with their foster parents or adoptive families or go back home, what does sustainability look like for the relationships in their lives? Um, And that's a discussion that needs to be happening at every stage of these cases. It's not just about now, it's about when when the system is gone from, from their lives. So here's some things that we do to help support all of you and the siblings who are separated. We've been talking a lot about Camp Tuvalong well, I haven't said it, said the name, but it's Camp Tubalong, Colorado. Um, and that's actually how Elevating Connections started. Camp Tubalong has been around for close to 30 years, um, and it's in several other states. And I became familiar with Camp Tubalong 10 years ago as somebody was bringing it to Colorado. And I said, well, yeah, let me help out. And then I volunteered at Camp Tubalong. And then before you know it, I started an organization that supports the sibling relationship year-round. Because camp is amazing, but we need more than one week a year for the kids. Um, so, camp is four nights, five-day summer camp, um, and the kids are separated in some form or fashion. We have kids that are permanently separated, cases are closed, that come to camp. So, they don't have to have an active case to come to camp. If they're separated, they're separated. Um, they get to do all the traditional summer camp activities, hiking, swimming, campfire, uh, and s'mores, because you can't have a campfire without s'mores, um, ropes course, challenge course, zip line, horseback riding, Um, the horses are all therapeutic horses as well. And so some kids don't ever get on the horse, but they pet them, um, which is very soothing. So I'm excited for all of you that might be participating in the equine, uh, event next weekend. Um, and then we have activities that specifically support the sibling relationship. So we have a birthday party. We have scrapbooking. We have photographers there all week long. And at the last day of camp, the kids get a stack of pictures and they scrapbook because they don't have pictures of each other. They make pillows for each other with messages on them and they can take those to some tangible things they can have from their brothers and sisters when they leave camp. Um, Camp is not a therapy camp. It's not a camp where kids come to us as a respite from their therapy, Um, but it is highly therapeutic for each other. Um, My team is made up, my camp director um, is very experienced in child welfare. Um, We have LCSWs on staff and when I say on staff, my whole team's volunteers. Um, they come up and they're with the kids all week long just to help. Cause the kids have moments where they're like, you know, escalated and, and fighting with each other. So we, we pull them out from their activities and work with them. And then they get to go back to their activities. Um, it's very supportive, very, it's, it's a good week of camp. We're all real tired when it's done, but um, it's very helpful for the kids. And I try and do some work with all of you to prepare you for getting them ready for camp and then what to expect when they come home. Um, One of the most important things I coach on is trying to make sure they're going to have contact with siblings as soon as possible. After camp, whatever that looks like, phone calls, something like that. That's the hardest part of leaving camp is they don't know when they're going to see each other again. So yeah, making sure they have that idea. Um, What are
0: the ages or are are we getting to that? Someone's asking what the age it just yeah. are. And someone else says I had a sibling set who did camp to belong for two summers and they absolutely loved it.
1: Oh, yay. I would love to know off camera who that is. Um, that's so great. Thank you. Um, they get uh, those kids. I'll tell you, they get deep in here and they stick with me forever. Um, so there's no cost to care providers. Partial sibling groups are welcome. Eight to um, 18 is roughly we have wiggle room. I had some seven-year-olds here this year. That's as young as we'll go because it's a lot there's we keep them busy um, next year's camp dates are August 8th through the 12th at Camp Shadybrook in Deckers Colorado the most magical place in Colorado as far as I'm concerned the staff there is amazing um, and it's a gorgeous camp um, they get to swim in a real lake and um fish and go down the slide and get to do normal normal kid stuff um, so that is camp how are they housed Stacy? Mm, with their sibling question. group or how does that work we have so we tried something new this year because of COVID um, in that we had smaller groups together so it's the sibling group same gender sibling group uh siblings together all day long and at night in the cabins um, so, and we welcome, uh, we've had some transgender youth. So whatever gender they identify as is the cabin that they're in. Um, and we, in yes, so we keep in with our siblings as much as we can. Um, and then the ratio of staff, just so you know, it's a very strict ratio of two kiddos to every one staff member. I've tried three to one, it doesn't work. So I have a lot of staff. Um, And we give our counselor, volunteer counselors, a lot of training before the kids ever get there.
0: And then are they assigned to specific kids that they stay with the
1: whole time? Yes. Um, So the sibling groups are part of a larger family group. So there's usually about 10 to 12 kids per family group. And then there's a lead counselor for every single family group. And those are my most experienced volunteers. Um, And then there's usually four or five other counselors with them. We have, um, next year, I think I'm actually going to have a doctor on staff, Um, one of my board members whose husband is a doctor. I'm like, great. Um, But we have nurses on staff all the time to handle meds and any medical uh, challenges that come up. Um, We have our LCSWs. Um, I have a pretty robust admin team. We have our counselor group. And then we have day volunteers that come up to help get ready for the special events, like the birthday party and scrapbooking and things. So the counselors can be with the kids. So, um, there's usually four or five family groups. Uh, they all have different colors and, um, my counselors get to choose what colors they want. The kids get, um, sweatshirts and t-shirts and all sorts of stuff. So they come back with a lot more than they left with or came to camp with. Um, and, um, we have morning inspiration every morning. So we have a word of the day. Uh, we raise the flag, lower the flag. So there's some things that we work into camp that are about community and and working together as a community. And then there's sibling relationship and um, and knowing that all the kids there are in similar situations seems to make them feel comfortable.
0: And that does this include, and sorry if I missed this, um, mm-hmm. foster siblings and all those groups we talked about before.
1: Yeah, I get pretty creative. So um, I'm the one who decides which kids come to camp. And so I had, um, if you tell me that we've got a kiddo that's living with their brothers and sisters, but they've been living, I had quite a, I'll give you an example from camp this summer, quite a configuration um, of kids that were some, they've all been part of the same family for um, several years now, but not in the same home. So we had cousins, brothers and sisters and a foster sibling that came to camp together this year. Um, And the foster sibling was not ever in the foster care system, but was a foster to these kids and they consider each other brothers and sisters and like, bring her on. Um, Yeah. So um, the beauty is I get to decide and I get pretty creative around that. Um, So just ask me, I'll probably say yes. (laughs) So, I
0: love that. There's just so many restrictions for these kids when they're in care. So having that, just even that little wiggle room is such a gift.
1: Um, And same with our connecting events that we'll talk about here, like next, um, is we do get pretty creative and let the kids come come together. Um, Because of that very reason, Renee, is there are lots of restrictions and they can just see the people that they love and know that they're doing okay. We can Hopefully, help families throughout the year with not having placement disruptions or or maintaining that relationship. But um, the kids really, it is important to them. They have little kids have big hearts um, and care about the people in their lives. So, if we can get creative around it, I will do that. Okay, so some pictures from camp and some of the activities. Um, one of the kids this year asked me if I was going to get in the lake and I was not feeling the swimsuit situation but we had an all-camp swim and you know what I got in the lake all fully clothed and they thought that was hilarious I went down the slide um yeah it was great I don't recommend it in jean shorts but so next year I'll rethink that one but it was right um and then we have connecting events that we are now doing on a regular basis the second Sunday of every month and this is part of our year-round programming where we allow um, the kids that come together and just be kids. Um, so we have different activities. Actually, I should take out trips to the museum. We did that a couple of years ago. I'm still traumatized um, because the kids just go everywhere. So um, what we're doing is we're bringing them together in just simple activities. We come to the park um, in the summertime, in the fall, and they just they do art activities. They have lunch. They play on the playground. We have field games and things like that for them to play. We're figuring out what the fall and winter is going to look like so we can do events safely. Um, uh, one of my board members recommended the stock show. So I'm going to kick that around for January is it, if it's coming back this year. Um, but really, it's just about bringing them together. And we're trying to spread them out across the metro area so that we can get to more kids. And, and it's not so far for care providers to drive. Um, so we are trying to do that. But it's just an opportunity for the kids to come together and just hang out um, and have a good time. And sometimes we do community service projects along with it. So um, the one, the bags down there, we made some goodie bags for the kids at Urban Peak with socks and um, gloves and things like that for the winter. And then you refer you through my website or through me. Um, Yeah. That's my contact information. There's not, um, the sooner you've got questions about your um, siblings that are, or the kids in your care that have siblings, the better so that we can start addressing some of the issues as early in the case as possible to try and rectify the sibling relationship and the contact that they're having. So please don't think that you are um, in any way bugging me or not sure I can help. I'll tell you if I can help, but I usually come up with something. Um, so please reach out, even if we can't find a solution, um, I'm here to be an extra support to all of you because you are, um, incredible people who are raising children who need your love and support. And so I want to be here to help you be able to do that. Awesome. I'm guessing someone from
0: my team is typing your information into the chat right now. So we'll have it there.
1: Um, and more questions, if any. So um, if, well, I'll wait and see if any pop up, but um, please know that if we intervene, the sooner we intervene, the, m- the more likelihood we are to have that sibling relationship be um, successful and supportive in what we want it to be. But don't ha- I can't stress this enough. Don't hesitate to speak up on behalf of the kids um, with the caseworker of the GAL. Call me in if you need to, and I'm more than happy to give you pointers of language to use or ways to talk to the judge, whatever I can do to help. Um, being that extra set of eyes um, is what I'm here to help do.
0: Someone says, do you take kids from other States, New Mexico, or do you have resources for something similar in New Mexico? I was telling you earlier that we have this yeah. awesome relationship with New Mexico. And I know that, um, our ombudsman went and spoke with their yes. folks. So maybe that's something you could, you could help with too. Not to speak for you, Stacy, but no, I would, would be love to in New Mexico.
1: I would love to, we don't have a summer camp. It's not in New Mexico right now, but, we have had kids come from other states, um, absolutely, for camp. And I'm more than happy to help advocate in other states as well. So maybe, Renee, you and I could talk about that offline um, and who I might reach out to in New Mexico. But absolutely, absolutely. the sibling relationship is the same in every state. Um, so I'm happy to help, and we can get the kids to camp for sure, um, if that's something. And and it doesn't have to be... Um, I've never had a sibling group that was solely outside of Colorado, but that doesn't mean I can't do it because, you know, I get to decide. So, um, yeah, I'd be happy to talk that through too.
0: Can you go back one slide so we can get your contact information
1: in the chat for everybody? Yeah. The fastest way to get me, just so you know, is through email. I'm constantly checking that. Um. Let's see, and again, I've said it like 12 times, but I'll say it again, I'm happy to stick around for a little bit or feel free to reach out to me after. There it is, there's your contact in the chat. Yeah.
0: Um. So what we'll do now is we'll just take a little break and Anna from our team will walk everyone through getting their certificate and then Great. we'll pop back on and see if any questions have come in. Okay. Um, so you can go ahead and stop I'll sharing stop your sharing, screen. Yeah. Hi, Anna. Hi. Hi. Let's
2: see here. Okay. So, first things first, our verification code today is sibling with a capital S. So, capital S I B L I N G. And I think somebody will be posting that in our yep, chat. It
0: is in the chat.
2: Perfect. All right. share my screen again and we'll walk through the process of getting your certificate today. All right, so can you all see my screen? We can. Perfect. All right, so this is where you should be after class. So you'll have logged in, you'll see the green check mark for your webinar, and then you'll see that you need to put in the verification code. So you'll type it in capital S-I-B-L-I-G-Sibling And you'll see your second green check mark, and then you'll be prompted to take the survey. And you'll go through and fill out this survey. For most of these, if you're new to Foster Source, there'll be um, an option to put NA, new to Foster Source. And it's so important that you fill out these surveys. We really do use them to better our future trainings. And we love being able to hear your feedback on how you thought class went, how you feel you're connected to Foster Source. And then once you're done with the survey, you'll get your third green check mark. Perfect. And now you'll be able to access your certificate. Now it's really important that you do click this button, view or print your certificate. When you do, your certificate will pop up in the second window and you can print it from there, but also you'll be able to go to your dashboard later and find your certificate under transcript. And this is where every certificate from any class that you take will be. So here is the one from today. And it's so important that you do this because in about a week, we're gonna put this training to on-demand. So you'll still be able to access a certificate at that point but it will say on-demand instead of live, which is important because some CPAs and counties do require a certain amount of live hours. And remember if you're watching with someone this morning, please, please remember email me at Anna at FosterSource.org. Let me know that you were watching with someone so that both of you can get credit for taking this class. Can you show us the handouts from today, Anna? Oh, yeah. And under this tab is the handouts, and that's where you'll find the presentation slides.
0: There's Stacy's slide deck for today, if there was something in there that you want to look at. Um, Anna, someone says, my verification code is locked. Will it unlock in a few minutes?
2: Anna will
0: dive in and have a look at that. But yeah, it should be locked.
2: Yeah, as long as you have a green check mark for your webinar. So if you don't have that, that would mean that the system didn't register that you attended. Just send me an email if for some reason it doesn't pop up that the verification code can be input. Oh, he said he refreshed and it works now. Awesome. Perfect.
0: Awesome. 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 Someone says our agency doesn't accept these certificates. That is such a bummer. But would you like us to still email you anyways to get a better account? Yes, that'd be helpful. Thank you for asking that. And if you would tell me what your agency is, I would love to talk to them. (laughs) Awesome. Well, guys. I'm going to call it a little bit early today yeah. um, and give you a little bit more time to spend with your Saturday. Um, so class is officially over. Stacey, if you have time and don't mind hanging on in case some questions come in, that would be great. But Absolutely. otherwise, you can consider class over for today. And thank you all so much for coming. Thank you so much, Stacy. That was thank you. so, so helpful.
1: I'm so glad. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity and thanks everyone for being here today.